Thank you, choir. Thank you, Philip. Now, you pray for me. I'm going to do the very best that the Lord will speak through me. Uh, I got a feeling some of y'all are probably saying, well, there won't be much spitting going on up there tonight. You can probably get your mouth open. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I want to begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 6. I tell you right now, Philip, that uh, I, I, I could shout on that. Thank God my yesterdays are gone. Amen. For the blood of Jesus. Well, if you found your spot and you're able to stand, would you join me as we read Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he parted from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You may be seated for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come into your throne room tonight, we're so thankful that man did not design marriage. God, I'm thankful that you created the institute of marriage in the creation of this world and mankind. Therefore, your principles and precepts govern and determine what truly a marriage made in heaven is all about. And so tonight, Father, may we glean from your scriptures truly what it is that you want in a relationship between a man and a woman and you. And may we do it in a manner that would bring glory to the name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. For the past three weeks... Our pastor has been dealing with committed to marriage. What does committed to marriage really look like? Matter of fact, if you ask people today why they get married, they'll tell you there's many reasons that they get married. I heard about the man and the woman who were having a big fight uh, over the checkbook not being balanced correctly. This lady had been taking care of the checkbook, and her husband had been letting her do that, and so she couldn't get it balanced, and she asked him to come help her. And so he came in there, and after a little while, he figured out what the problem was. And he got so mad at the mistakes that she made, he looked at her and said, I don't know why in the world, why in the world, God made you so dumb and yet so pretty. And the woman looked at the man and said, well, I can tell you exactly why. God made me so pretty that you'd want to marry me and made me so dumb that I wouldn't know any better than to marry you. I... <laughs> there are many reasons why people choose to get married. Some people marry for money. Uh, my grandmother, uh, after my dad passed, uh, my, uh, my grandfather passed away, uh, my grandfather died three months before my father was born and she never remarried. 
And so I asked her, uh, Grandmother, you've never been with another man since Grandfather died. No, have you ever been out with another? No. She said, I said, well, Grandmother, uh, why is it? She said, because I never found one rich enough that I could marry. So there are many reasons that people get married. When I think about marriage, and by the way, I just want you to know, Don and I have been married for 42 years plus. And so when this topic came up, what is the biblical view of marriage, and that's what I'm going to be preaching on, I looked at all the guys around me, and I said, well, some of you have been married for two years. Some of you have been married for about six years. Some of you have been married for about 15 years. And, Pastor, you've been married for over 20 years. And I'm thinking, bless God, I'm doubled up on all of them plus. So what is it that God has to say about marriage? When we think about marriage, tonight I want us to consider marriage a marriage that is made in heaven. That would be the title of the sermon if I had one tonight. First off, I want us to notice in this passage of Scripture, we see God's plan for marriage. Do you know that God has a plan? Folks, here's what I want you to understand. When we think about a marriage plan, tonight pastor was counseling with a young couple that's going to be, be getting married soon. And so he was talking to them, and, and as they began to talk to me, what I heard them say is, I want an ideal marriage. Everybody in here wants their marriage to be ideal. And when we think about that, society has their view of what a marriage really ought to look like. They have their plan for an ideal marriage. And depending on where you listen to society, it is very construed to what God's plan for marriage is all about. The Supreme Court has said what they determine what marriage is all about. And so you've got society saying one thing. You have the Supreme Court saying another. But folks, here's what I want you to understand. A marriage that winds up, that starts out as an ideal marriage, if it is not under the laws and the precepts of God's way of marriage, that ideal marriage will wind up into an ordeal of a marriage. And it won't be long before they not only are in an ordeal, bless God, they are in a situation where that ordeal has begun to take over and no longer is it ideal, it has become an ordeal because they've not stayed in God's plan for marriage. So here's my point I want to say in all this, having said all that to this. What kind of marriage do you really want? Do you want God's plan or do you want society's plan? You want the Supreme Court's plan. I'm telling you, you can either have a marriage made in heaven or you'll have one that's been marred by hell. What is it that you really want for your marriage? Well, when we think about God's plan for marriage, there's several questions that I think we need to ask very simply this, is this. Why is the Savior's plan for marriage so important? Why is God's plan for marriage so important? In a nutshell, let me just share with you. Every marriage is going to face the storms of life. Every marriage is going to face the storms of life. And if you want that marriage to survive, you better do it God's way. Amen. You better do it the way that the Savior has. Folks, I'm telling you, if our marriage is going to survive, then we need to look at God's plan for marriage. So you say, David, when was the Savior's plan established? I'm glad you asked. It was established during creation. It was established during creation. When, why was it established? Well, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created everything on earth and he created man, do you realize there's the only one thing God said that he didn't like about his creation? He didn't like the fact that Adam had no mate. He said it was not good. All, everything else in creation was good, except that Adam did not have a mate. So what did God do? God created him a mate, and he created him 
a woman. God didn't want Adam to be left alone. God wanted him to have a helpmate. He wanted, he wanted Adam to have someone that was opposite to him in many ways, but was as equal to him in every other way. And so God said, I'll take these two opposite, join them together and become one, and both of them will be blessed as a result of that unity that comes together in that union. And so we realize that's why it took place. So God created. So who did God create? God created Adam and Eve. He didn't create Adam and Steve. God created one man for one woman, for one lifetime. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Our society may say a man and a man can be married or a woman and a woman can be married. I'm telling you, the laws of God said that is an abomination to him. And I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not here to cause anybody to be upset. But I'm telling you right now, when we look at this passage of Scripture, God's plan is very clear. One man and one woman for a lifetime. Amen. And amen. So what type of relationship did God create? And then we'll just keep asking these questions. God has created a covenant relationship. In marriage, when a couple says, I do, what they're saying is simply this. They're entering into a covenant relationship with God. You see, whether you were for justice or the peace, maybe you had a church wedding like this. Maybe you were had an in-house wedding. But I'm telling you, in regards of who you had it in from, in front of, you, and when you said your vows, you were saying them not only to the person you married, but to God who is above. Amen? A covenant relationship is what God is referring to here. So you think about, well, what's God's plan for marriage? What type is it's a covenant relationship? And you say, well, David, how does this happen? When you say I do and she says she does, then the Holy Spirit of God looks at the Father through the Son and says they do. And the Holy Spirit of God says that. The Lord Jesus says, Father, they just did. And God says, I do too. And other words, simply saying that this, when you make that covenant relationship with one another, God is willing to make that covenant relationship with you. And so we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So you say, David, well, do most people remember when they, they're making that vow to one another, uh, they remember that. Folks, people don't remember. How many of you can remember every word of the vows that you said at your marriage? Anybody here? Boy, nobody's raising their hand. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. The only thing I can remember about mine is that my wife showed up for the wedding. Now, I'll tell you that. Now, you're talking about crazy. Here we are, Miss Viber, about to get married. And the preachers come to me. There's two of them. They said, well, you just need to understand Donna's still trying to decide right now whether she's got cold feet, whether she's going to marry you or not. And I'm sitting there thinking, say what? Are you kidding me? Are you, so 15 minutes walked by. The clock struck 6, 6.15. I'm waiting. What, what is she going to do? Has she made up her mind? What is she going to do? These preachers are telling me they're going to go talk to her one more time to see if they can talk her in it. By now, I'm a basket case. I'm crying. I'm telling you, I've lost it, okay? They come back in there, and they tell me she's ready now to marry you. Here was the problem. Her daddy had forgotten the marriage license, and the pastors would not perform the wedding until he went to get the marriage license. Well, he went to get them, and he got the wrong thing. And he came back, and they said, this won't do. you got to go back. Well, he locked the door on the way out the first time. When he went back the second time, he couldn't get in. He broke, up, broke open a window, went through the window. The neighbors saw him and called the police. The police came over and said, what are you doing? Who are you? Well, I'm the owner of this home. My daughter's getting married. That's why I'm in this monkey suit called a tuxedo. And I got to get back over here real quick because if I don't, they can't get married. 
Well, I want you to know he showed up with a marriage license, but them two sorry no-count preachers didn't tell me the truth, preacher. They told me my wife didn't want to marry me. <laughs> you talking about in a turmoil. I don't remember one thing that my wife said to me, and I don't remember one thing that I said to her. But here's what I do know. God heard every word of it. God's plan for marriage leads to something else. Pastor, I'm watching my watch, and we're going to get through in time because I don't think my voice is going to let me hang on too long. Not only do we see God's plan for marriage, but I want you to notice God's priority for marriage. Where do we find God's priority for marriage in this passage of Scripture? It's very simple. Uh, in the King James, we would say, leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. This first word here that we find here in verse 5, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. What is he talking about? Five times in the scriptures you find reference to this leaving and cleaving. Five times you will find them. Genesis 2, 24 is the first time. Here in Matthew 9, 5, 19, 5, Mark 10, 7, and 8. 1 Corinthians 6 and 16, which our pastor's already been preaching through. And then Ephesians 5, 31. Five times. Let me just say this to you. If God says at one time, that ought to be good. If God says it three times, you better pay attention. But if God says it five times, I'm telling you, it's for real. Amen. So what is God saying about priority for marriage? What he is saying here is this key word leave is simply this. He's talking about the priority of a relationship that a husband and a wife have with one another. He's talking about the preeminence of that relationship between a man and a woman. And he's talking to fathers and mothers here. And he's saying simply this, as parents, don't miss this. It is our responsibility to prepare our children to leave the nest so that when it comes that time for a marriage to take place, they understand the principles that are found in the Word of God so that they can leave you as their parents and they can join with their mate and become one. That's what he's talking about, this leaving. You said, David, what is he not saying here? Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. God is not saying we are to terminate our relationship with our parents when we get married. We're not to terminate that relationship with our parents. Thank God uh, that my mom and dad were around. Thank God that Donna's mom and dad were around. But I want you to know my number one priority was Donna. It was no longer my mom or her dad. Donna will tell you her number one priority was no longer her mother and her father. Her number one priority, our relationship, became preeminent. It was the priority in which God had stayed for us. So, David, you say, what does this word leave mean? Well, this word can mean several things. I mean, I want you to think about it, number one. When you think about it, number one, it talks about leave our parents, and that's just what we talked about. We had to leave our parents. But number two, we're to leave past relationships with other people. We're to leave past relationships with other people. Uh, I heard about this man who had come home, and on his way he'd come home, he'd, he worked at a job where his clothes were always nasty, so he'd come in, he'd walk into the mudroom of the house right there off the garage, and he would take the dirty clothes off, and he would put on some clean clothes, and his wife would take those old ones, and she'd get them ready, and she'd pull the things out of the pocket. You know, men were terrible about leaving things in our pocket, amen? I mean, I've had knives washed, I've had $100 bills, and no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but I mean, we've had all kinds of things washed. Well, as his wife was getting ready to wash his clothes, she pulled out a piece of paper that had a name on it. The name was Mary. She went into the kitchen and brought a frying pan back 
and he was sitting down on the couch, and I mean, she absolutely frailed him over the top of the head as hard as she could. He looked at her, rubbing his head, and said, what in the world are you doing? She said, well, I found this piece of paper here that said Mary on it. He said, well, that don't mean nothing. I said, that don't mean nothing at all. That's the name of the horse that I bet on. So she went back into the kitchen, and the phone rang. And after she answered the phone, she looked under the cabinet there. She got a bigger frying pan, a lot bigger frying pan. She went back and found that man sitting down, and she beat him over the head even worse this time. It dented the frying pan. He looked at her and said, what are you doing? Are you trying to kill me? What in the world's going on? She said, your horse just called me. <laughs> Can I say something? Not only were to lead parents, you're to lead past relationships that you've had with other people. Not only does leaving mean to leave past relationships with other people, it also means this. You need to leave pleasures that can hinder your marriage. Pastor talked about getting a boat today. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, I'm at the point, I would really like a new bass boat, even if it's a used bass boat. Uh, he and I were talking about that, and I was talking about pleasures. That There's some things that you might have to give up because it would take you away from time with your wife and your family. He said, well, if I get one of them bass boats, I'm going to make sure it's got another seat on it for Miriam so she can go with me. <laughs> pleasures. Sometimes our hobbies and our pleasures hinder us from being with our spouse. So some of those things we have to leave alone. Not only do we see priority uh, when it comes to marriage and, and leaving our parents, not only do we see it uh, in past relationship with other people, not only do we see it in pleasures, but I want you to understand something else. Problems. Problems. There's some problems that we need to lay aside at the feet of Jesus. And they don't need to come into our marriage relationship. We need to let God deal with them take care of them. Phil, we sang about that, that last song. Thank God yesterday, we talked about that. Shackles, chains, those kind of things. What I'm simply saying this, in every marriage, all of us come into that marriage with some garbage or some baggage that we had before we got married. And I don't care what you say, you've got some. What I'm saying to you is simply this, as much of that as you can, lay that aside and let God deal with it. Don't you bring that into your marriage. Wife, don't you drag it up. Husband, don't you drag it up. Don't you bring it up. If it's under the blood of Jesus, it's in the past. Amen and amen. So he talks about here in this priority of marriage that God has a plan for marriage. He also says that God has a priority for marriage. It's that word leave. But then God has a permanence for marriage. Our marriage is to be permanent. In other words, uh, it's amazing to me that uh, this word cleave here, or this word in the King James Version, uh, New King James Version, when it's written here, notice it says that uh, uh, for this reason the man shall leave his father and mother, and that word cleave can be used as to be joined together, to be joined to his wife. That's in the interpretation of that word cleave. That cleave, that word cleave there is a strong Hebrew word. It is a picture of welding something together that can't be made apart. You know, you take a piece of steel and it has a certain strength, but when you put weld on it, it's stronger when it's welded than it was when it came out as a piece of steel. It's a picture of super glue. 
Anybody in here had any dealings with super glue? Anybody ever got any super glue on your finger and uh, you couldn't get it apart? Raise your hand. Anybody had any that problem? And you, you know what you said? What in the world am I going to do? I did that one time. Thank God I got to some hot water quick enough and I could, okay, and it pulled the skin apart. Here's what he's saying here. When we're to cleave to one another, what he is simply saying is our bodies physically, watch me now, don't, don't miss this, physically, and I'm going to talk about this in just a few moments, body, soul, and spirit are to be joined together. That's what he's saying. That word cleave is very important. You see, when we think about cleaving, I'm the best illustration I can give you in a covenant relationship would be an equilateral triangle. Now, here's what that means. Equilateral triangle, three sides. Let's put God at the apex, at the very top of that. Let's put you on one side, wife, at the bottom of that equilateral triangle. Husband, let's put you on the other side of that equilateral triangle. And here's what I want you to know. As you move closer to God in your relationship with him, you will automatically grow closer to one another. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about here. When we're talking about leaving, we're talking about cleaving. As we move closer to God, then our relationship with one another looks closer together. You say, David, what kind of uh, cleavage does this mean? This is a covenant relationship. That's what we're talking about. As we cleave, we're coveting with one another, and we're coveting with God. Today, most people want to go into a marriage instead of a covenant relationship. They want a contractual marriage. They want my marriage to be under contract. That's what they want. And there's a huge difference when you make a covenant relationship with one another in God, and you make a contract relationship. Let me give you the difference, if I can, on two or three things. If you think about covenant, a covenant relationship is based on love. If you want to know what, the, what is necessary for a marriage to flourish, for it to sizzle, and I mean absolutely blossom, the soil that it must be bathed in is a soil of love. I'm telling you, any other reason to be married outside of that spirit of love is a wrong reason. And so in a covenant relationship, it's based on love. A contract is based on law. It's based on the law. A covenant relationship is motivated by commitment. That's what covenant means, a commitment. God makes a commitment to you and I, and we make a commitment to him. Uh, contract is motivated by compulsion. It's motivated by compulsion. A covenant relationship in marriage assumes relationship till death do us part. A contractual relationship prepares for marriage to fail. Can I just say something? A covenant relationship does not have the word divorce in its vocabulary. If you have that word divorce in your vocabulary, I'll assure you, you are looking for a way to get out. You're not totally committed till death do you part. And so it prepares for marriage to fail. A covenant relationship says this, what's mine is yours. 100% of all I have is 100% of all yours. I put all 100% into it. You put 100% into it. God puts 100% into it. Now you've got a covenant relationship. Amen. A contractual relationship says this, protect what is mine. I wonder how many marriages have a prenuptial agreement in a contract before they even get married nowadays because I want to protect what's mine. Covenant relationship says this, your interests are my interests. 
Are you interested in the things that your spouse is interested in? Can you say that? He said, David, I'm not, maybe not as crazy about him as she is, but I'll be honest with you, if, she's in, if it's important to her, it's important to me. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. If it's important to my spouse, it ought to be important to me. Amen. A contract relationship says this, uh, I'm going to secure my interest. I'm going to secure my interest. Covenant relationship says, prepares for life together. Prepares for life together. A contractual relationship says this, prepares for life apart. Prepares for life apart. You see, when God says that we're to leave and we're to cleave, he says we're to join ourselves together, welded together in the unity and the bond of the Holy Spirit of God as believers in Jesus Christ till death do us part. That's a covenant relationship. And so God made it very clear that uh, the permanence of marriage only could take place when we're cleaving with one another. Cleave doesn't mean husbands and wives have to be together all the time. Husbands and wives, I'm not saying that everywhere your wife goes, you have to go. That's not what I'm saying, but here's what I'm saying in that marriage. You have to be joined together forever in your heart. In your heart. It's a heart covenant relationship with one another and to God. And so we understand that God's permanence of marriage is real. You say, David, how does this take place? How can this happen? I want to give you three principles real quick. Pastor, am I doing, I'm doing still okay on my time, aren't I? Uh, because the next point won't be as long. But I want, I want to spend a little time right here. You, 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 know when a, you know when a marriage, normally the first year in a marriage is real tough. You take two people who are opposite from one another. Now, all of a sudden, you put them together in the same house 24-7 with their differences, and every now and then, things can get a little difficult. Amen? And then when they get about, been married for about seven years, things become difficult again for whatever reason. And then when there's about 15 years in marriage, 20 years, things get a little bit, and then, bless God, somewhere around, around 24 to 25 for some reason, there's a midlife crisis going on. And then marriages have a tough time then as well. Let me give you three principles I'm telling you that will help you in your marriage, even in the toughest times in a covenant relationship. You say, David, how can this take place? Number one, if you want to maintain that covenant relationship that sizzles, that flourishes, I, I'm talking about just as if you're still in the honeymoon stage, hello, I got some of you look up at me then. What is it that you do? Number one, cleave to the God that made the covenant. Cleave to the God of the covenant. That's number one. Man, your daily walk with God is so important for your marriage. You may not realize it or not, but when you talk about that, that equilateral triangle, and as you move up that apex to God, I'm telling you, with your daily walk with him, it's so critical that you cleave to the God of the covenant. Number two, not only do you cleave to the God of the sacred covenant, number two, you need to cleave to your mate. You need to cleave to your mate. In other words, instead of looking for ways, and unseemingly, you're not doing it. I'm going to tell you something. The one thing that you'll do in a marriage that will destroy your marriage and cause your marriage not to be as close as God wants it to be, as we think about that equilateral triangle covenant, is number one, neglect your marriage. 
just neglect it. You neglect your marriage, and I'll promise you, it will wind up as nothing. And it won't take long. So you cleave to the God of the covenant. You cleave to the covenant that you made with your mate. And then number three. Number three. Cleave to the scriptures that hold the godly principles for marriage. You know, sometimes uh, we don't really think that we need any more guidelines for marriage. You get married 42 years and you think, you know what, I, I don't, I don't, I've got it made. Man, if we've been married 42 years, I can endure it. Let me tell you something. God don't want you to endure marriage. God wants you to, marriage to be a delight for you in marriage. And I'm going to tell you something. You take the Word of God and you find those principles for marriage, and they're there. I'm telling you, especially when it talks about cleaving, and you watch what God will do in your marriage. Don and I have been married 42 years. And I'll say this, and I'm going to go to the last point in just a moment, and that's the purpose for marriage. I want to say this to her. She's here. I'd say, it. number one, she's my lover. My wife is my lover. Number two, she's my best friend. She's my best friend. And number three, she's my helpmate. And number four, I believe she's God's gift to me, and the Holy Spirit speaks much through her to me to help us in our walk with one another and with God. That's my wife. I love her dearly. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be nothing what I am today without her. She is grace in the flesh. And the only way she can be grace in the flesh and forgiving and accepting and continue to love me and put up with me is that she realized she made a covenant with God and she made a covenant with me. Darling, I love you. I'm thankful. Point number four. We're done. This is real close. Not only do we see God's plan for marriage, <laughs> it's so, so clear. Not only do we see God's priority for marriage, and that's to leave. Not only do we see God's permanence of marriage, that's to cleave. But also we see God's purpose for marriage. Notice, if you will, in verse 5 all over again. It says that for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, uh, and, they, and shall cleave to his wife. And watch this, the last, last part of this. And the two shall become one flesh. We're to become one flesh. You see, when you get married, you marry the whole person. You marry the whole person. You and I are a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. We're made up of all three. And so when you marry, you marry the whole person. In other words, when you marry that person bodily, what are we talking about? We're talking about physically. There's a physical union that takes place between a man and woman when they get married. Physically, they get married. So their souls get married, body, soul. What's that part of us emotionally? I'm telling you right now, when you love one another, there's an emotional tie that cannot be separated. I'm telling you right now, when you do that covenant relationship, you can do it God's way. So physically, you get married. That's the body. Emotionally, you get married. That's the soul. And the last thing is spiritually. Body, soul, and spirit. Spiritually. You say, David, where does that come? Being equally yoked. As a believer in Jesus Christ. When a person trusts Christ as Savior. And a believer marries another believer. They are equally yoked by the spirit of the living God. You marry the whole person. To be united to become as what? One. 
how many of you in here would uh, say that uh, you've been married to your spouse long enough that uh, she can finish your sentences? Anybody in here? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I can be talking in midstream. Donna can just take over and finish what I'm about to say. If that's you, just raise your hand. He say, why is that? When you're physically united and you're emotionally united and you're spiritually united, you become one. God's purpose for our marriage is that through Jesus Christ, we become one in our marriage. You see, when we have a covenant marriage with God and with each other, we get a marriage that was made in heaven and not one that is ruined or marred by hell. Let me ask you, how are you living in your marriage? You said, David, this is totally so different from what you normally preach. Oh, really? Listen to me. Regardless of where you are when you make that commitment and you say, I do in your vows, you make that covenant relationship with God. But until you're born again, you'll never know the joy and the fullness that that marriage can have in that covenant relationship. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as Savior and you know you need to. I'm telling you, if you want your marriage to be everything that God says it can be, then you've got to come the way of the cross. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Simply here tonight, you may be saying, David, I, I know I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I've never done that. Well, dear friend, from your heart to God's heart, would you simply say something like this? Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe that you are the Son of God. And I'm asking you to come into my heart right now. I'm turning from my sin in myself. And by faith, I'm receiving you as my Savior. Tonight, if you trusted Christ as Savior, let me welcome you to the family of God. That's the greatest decision that you'll ever make for yourself. It's the greatest decision that you'll ever make that will change your marriage forever. You just don't know how many times I've had phone calls, emails, letters, and it will say something like this. My husband got saved. He's not the same. Our marriage is totally different. And I've had uh, uh, wives say that, and I've had husbands to say, my wife got saved, and he's, she's totally different. Our marriage is different. So tonight, if you trusted Christ, our pastor's going to be down front, and so are uh, some of our other staff members as well. But also, I want to say this to married couples or engaged couples that are sitting here tonight. Maybe you want to take this time to come and thank God for your marriage here on this altar. Or maybe you're about to get married and you want to come and pray for your marriage. Or maybe you know someone who's struggling in their marriage and you want to come and get on this altar and pray for that couple to not only understand God's plan, but to accept his priority and the permanence and the purpose for marriage. I'm going to give a simple invitation. I'm going to pray, and if you trusted Christ as Savior, if you need to, won't you come, our pastor standing down here at the front, or tonight you want to come to, and get on this altar and pray. Couples, it's open for you. Maybe you want to just come and thank God for your marriage.
Father, I love you. Thank you that in the beginning of creation, you instituted marriage. You set it up on a covenant relationship. And God, I pray for couples in this place tonight. They'll come. They'll thank you. They'll rejoice in you. Father, that commitment will be be stronger and greater than it's ever been. And Father, I pray for those that need to trust you as Savior, that tonight they'll come. Have your willingness invitation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you